Listener Production. We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. At the heart of it, diagnostics in medicine is a data-collecting endeavour. The doctor will begin with a physical examination, exploring the patient's medical history, then on to tests, samples and treatments, and so on, until the patient is healthy again. Sounds simple, right? In some cases, it is. And sometimes it isn't. I mean, can you tell which one of these is healthy and which one is not? <coughs> Let's hear that again. This one <coughs> and this one. <coughs> now, if you said the first person was sick, you would be right. But could you tell what with? Probably not. Nearly every respiratory disease will have its own signature. That could be a high-pitched sound or a low-pitched sound, a crackling or maybe even a pop. And with a properly trained ear and stethoscope, these sounds are easily identified to help those form a diagnosis. But that data still requires time-consuming interpretation. And if you work in telehealth, getting the data in the first place is actually next to impossible. Imagine if an app on your phone, something that nearly everyone has access to, could do what a stethoscope does, but even better. Suggest a diagnosis of its own through machine-based learning or what's better known as artificial intelligence. Well... ResApp is already doing this, and even more with their platform. And it's as simple as coughing just five times into your phone. Hi, I'm Zoe Callister-Hakewell, and welcome to Beyond the Medicine Cabinet. Uh, At the start, it felt quite scary. It wasn't a sensation that I'd experienced before. You know, you felt like you were going to run out of breath. And you also, I also kind of felt a little bit lightheaded as well. This is Victoria. She's a medical student and she's describing here what it's like to have an asthma exacerbation. Yeah, it was quite an unusual sensation um, and also kind of gets you a little bit panicked and gives you quite a bit of anxiety because, you know, you feel yourself running out of breath but you're not sure what to do, you're not sure how to regain your breath and the more shallow breaths that you take, I guess the worse that you kind of feel anxiety-wise as well because it's not getting better. Vic, can you remember when you first started experiencing breathing difficulties? Yeah, I do remember when I first started experiencing breathing difficulties. I actually had gotten bronchitis back when I was 12 um, and it just kind of, it, it really exacerbated the asthma that was there. So my asthma is like quite mild, but I remember having the bronchitis and just, having a really, really awful wheeze, not being able to sleep at night, just having quite severe shortness of breath, going to my doctor about it, knowing that I had the bronchitis, the medications that I was given for it weren't working, and then being told, yeah, you know, you do have asthma, we will need to get you on different inhalers and things like that. So it was actually like an an exacerbation of it that really made me kind of realise that, yeah, this is what it was. And so when you went to the doctor and des- described these symptoms to them, what did they then advise? So usually if you've got, you know, quite mild asthma, you'll just need to use a reliever um, as needed. 
but you know if you have more moderate asthma or severe asthma or you're having an exacerbation then you also need to be using like your preventer medication as well. So once you've you've got the onset of shortness of breath, you take that medication and that'll relieve it. Whereas a preventer, you might take, you know, every day or as prescribed to prevent your symptoms from happening. And the week after I was actually flying to America. So when I went to America, I definitely needed, you know, both preventer and reliever medication. I did have an asthma attack. When I was in America, and um, thankfully I did have the stronger puffers that were there, but that was really quite scary because I was in a foreign country now, and you know this was really the first kind of attack that I had had. Uh, before it was just an exacerbation of it, but now you know I really was having quite an acute attack at that moment. And- For chronic respiratory disease sufferers like Vic, determining when an attack is coming on is difficult and determining whether or not you're actually sick with something else is also hard, which Vic, who got COVID last year, knows very well. So did you um, confidently say that you could distinguish between your COVID shortness of breath and your asthma shortness of breath? I don't know if I could confidently say I could distinguish between the two of them. Yeah, for me, I like I thought that having asthma already and having this infection, the asthma that I had, had been exacerbated because of my COVID infection. So, it, yeah, it could have been a, a bit of both, definitely at the start but I'm not 100% sure really like over the couple of months whether it was the COVID or the asthma that was contributing to that. Unfortunately, respiratory disease is it's an inexact science. Mm. Um, you know, if you turn up to an emergency department and with potentially having pneumonia, there are a number of tests that a doctor will do. Um, you know, they might send you for an X-ray, they might send you for a CT scan, they might, you know, listen to your chest with a stethoscope. But there's no gold standard diagnosis. Mm. Um, There's nothing, there's no blood test that says, yes, you've got pneumonia. And so, you know, the clinical decision here is is challenging. It's really Mm. hard. Um, There's a lot of overlap in symptoms. They're very difficult to diagnose clinically. This is Tony Keating. So, hi, I'm Tony Keating. I'm the CEO at Resap Health. I'm also the co-founder of the company, which we founded roughly seven years ago. My background is engineering, but I've spent some time looking at early stage technologies and commercialising them. So how did ResApp begin? ResApp was originally the idea of a professor at the University of Queensland, a professor Udanta Abaratni. Professor Abaratni's idea was, could we use cough sounds to look inside the body, look inside the lungs and see what was going on? So he was very fortunate to get funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, they provided a, a small amount of seed funding for him. He sent a, a poor PhD student, I think it was, up into Indonesia to record children's cough sounds using a, a mic like the, the mic in front of me at the moment mm-hmm. and a laptop computer, recorded those cough sounds, brought them back to the university and, and did some analysis. And what they found was that they could pull out signatures associated with pneumonia from those cough sounds. At that point, we got involved. We, we saw huge commercial potential, huge you know, healthcare potential for that technology uh, and have really you know, spun the company out of the university and, and developed the, the technology to where we are today. So this is real grassroots stuff. They, they sent someone in to 
a particular country to really capture these sounds in real time to then work out how they would analyse coughs. Yeah, so the Gates Foundation were very interested in trying to solve pneumonia. Uh, pneumonia causes about a million children every year to, to die, unfortunately. And so the Gates Foundation, especially in the developing world, were looking for solutions to low-cost diagnosed pneumonia. And so it was a bit of a, an unusual idea. Could we use these cough sounds to look inside the lungs? So, yeah, it was, it was grassroots. Let's, let's give a, a PhD student some time to go and record these cough sounds and then you know, dig in using machine learning and artificial intelligence and, and try to extract out, you know, identifying features of pneumonia. So interesting. Like Shazam, but for sick people. Yeah, look, I've used that, um, <laughs> that analogy a couple of times. Another analogy I often use is a sonar ping, you know, where you see a submarine sonar pinging out into the ocean to find, you know, things that are in the ocean. We do the same. That cough sound bounces around inside the lungs and comes out with really rich, detailed information about what's going on inside those lungs. Wow. Okay. So from what I understand, there's a broad range of respiratory illnesses and somehow you've managed to categorize and diagnose all these different illnesses. How did you, how did you start? How did you do that? The, the interesting thing is that we are obviously, you know, clinicians diagnose different respiratory diseases based on what's going on inside the lungs, right? So you have pneumonia, which is often a bacterial or a viral infection in the lungs, which causes, you know, fluid buildup, you know, change in the properties in the lungs. Um, you know, you have asthma, which is about constricting of airways. Um, so, you know, I come from an engineering background, so I see that those all as changes in the materials, changes in the geometry of the lungs, um, and the sound contains that information. It, it says, well, you know, there was constriction or there was, you know, fluid buildup. And so, you know, we've built now a huge database of patients with cough sounds as well as the clinical side, you know, the clinical diagnosis. And that's, you know, been a really important factor in how we've been able to build these algorithms is we've worked very closely with clinicians to you know, accurately diagnose these patients, put them in the right buckets effectively, put those coughs, label those coughs well so that the machine learning algorithms can go in and really find things that you can't hear with your human ear, but the machine can differentiate and find out, yes, this patient here you know, has pneumonia and it has this consistent signature. This patient here has asthma and has this consistent signature. What are, what are some of the acute and chronic illnesses that you're also looking at at the moment? So we started with, with acute. Um, so this is people presenting to an emergency department, to a GP clinic, um, you know, with symptoms of respiratory disease. So they present with a runny nose, a fever or a cough. And so, you know, in children, you may break these children down into you know, things like bronchiolitis, croup, asthma. It's an asthma exacerbation or a wheeze in children, pneumonia. Uh, and, you know, that they're the, the main diseases you see of the lung, the, the lower respiratory tract. In adults, it's typically, you know, pneumonia, asthma exacerbation or a COPD exacerbation. So, you know, with asthma and COPD, we're talking about those patients who have a history of being diagnosed with asthma, but they're having an exacerbation or similarly with COPD. On the chronic side, um, obviously COPD and asthma are the, you know, the primary chronic respiratory diseases that we see. Today, what we do is identify exacerbations. So these are sudden changes, sudden worsening of symptoms of people who have asthma and COPD. Uh, but we're also looking at things like COPD itself. We're able to identify whether someone has chronic 
COPD, so not whether they're exacerbating it at the time where they've got an underlying condition. We think that has you know significant um, implications. You know, there are a lot of people out there that have COPD that don't know it, and obviously if you don't know it, you can't be treated. Um, so being able to help screen those people and get them you know, at, a, at an early stage uh, could significantly help their life moving forward. And so we were, actually went out and measured how good doctors were at diagnosing this in a in an emergency department in Perth. Um, oh, controversial. You know, uh, <laughs> what yeah, did you look, find? <laughs> so, so we found it's challenging, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we found that the, the doctors were disagreeing with each other quite significantly. You know, wow. Up to 50% of the time we found that, that clinicians were not agreeing on a diagnosis. Um, now, you know, that's considering how complex these diseases are, it's not not you know, it's, it's understandable. Yeah, of course. Um, but it also means that the more tools we can give clinicians, the more things that we can give them, hopefully will help them make a, a better diagnosis and hopefully make get patients treated better. If doctors in the same room struggle to agree on a diagnosis, imagine what it's like for those working in telehealth who have limited access to patient data as it is. Dr. Rukshana is one of those doctors. She works for Doctors On Demand, who have a commercial agreement with ResApp to use their technology. Before this, Dr. Rukshana was working in emergency medicine. So to say she had a change of pace would be a bit of an understatement. I wanted to ask you more a little bit about what the transition was like going from an in-person clinician to telehealth. Yeah, when I started and decided to move in and I gave it a try, if I be very honest, I was very nervous because I have uh, most whole my life I have worked in the public health, and there was a face-to-face patient dealing. So you can uh, talk to the patient, you can touch, you can examine them. So that gives you lots of information. And coming down to the telehealth was a bit scary, a bit more anxious because I was not sure how we are gonna manage that aspect of examination, interaction, and then uh, doing the immediate treatments that we normally do. And because of my emergency medicine background, I'm a bit of more like intervention sort of person. So <laughs> we try to fix the problems quicker. And this was a little bit more concerning corner that how we are going to do that. And can you talk a little bit more to the signs that you'd be looking for of serious respiratory illness? Yeah, when we are talking about the respiratory illness, definitely we need to see from the respiratory rate, that is the start of the signs, to the signs that lead to the respiratory distress, like the chest auscultation, We listen for some wheeze, striders, craps, or the crepitations, we call them. In the kids, it's it's more difficult to assess them because we need to physically examine them. And how difficult would you say it is to distinguish between these symptoms over telehealth without ResApp? Yeah, I think it's quite difficult, I'll be uh, very honest, because it comes down to inspection and auscultation. Respiratory is more about inspection and auscultation. Inspection, what we can see, and auscultation, what we can hear. Now, when we're doing telehealth, we can inspect the patient. Like if the patient is sitting in front of me, I can see if he's struggling with the breathing or if there is any obvious signs. But when it comes down to auscultation, means listening to the patient's chest, we are completely blind. And the patient description can be different as well. So every person is not a medical literate. So how they describe their symptoms is not necessarily what we are expecting when we are going to listen to their chest. Dr. Rukshana is often surprised by how many people delay care, particularly when it comes to respiratory problems. With people often citing things like, oh, it's just a cough, it's not that bad, or I didn't really want to be a burden. 
especially in elderly patients, I have seen this um, uh, this attitude a lot that they try to ignore um, some symptoms. Uh, the only because they think that it's a part of life, it's a part of weather, it's the seasonal thing, and they keep going and they keep pushing themselves. And it can be more serious because in elderly patients, the pneumonia or the chest infections can be more serious, uh, leading to the prolonged hospitalization. Yeah. So that's why if uh, the patients are elderly, I'm always keen that they should have done the RASAP, um, uh, the uh, cough test, because this will give me some idea as well. Uh, and I don't want to over-treat them or under-treat them. Over-treating or under-treating patients can lead to serious health problems. However, one of the most serious consequences of over-treating a patient is the overuse of antibiotics, which can be common when treating respiratory illnesses. Overuse of antibiotics leads to resistant bacteria, or what's known as superbugs. These become harder and harder to treat over time. So do you think that apps like this can reduce misdiagnosis or other issues that we're seeing in medicine, like overuse of antibiotics? Uh, I definitely would say yes. With coming times when the infections are getting so frequent, I think these type of the apps are really going to be helpful. Since I would say uh, the COVID has hit in, because the patient get more anxious that they are more sick, they are going to get into pneumonia or they are going to get hospitalized. So they get more stressed and more anxious about their symptoms. And when I see their results, they just indicate that probably they have some viral illness. They don't have any severe chest infections. So in that phase, definitely, we are not over-treating the patients and we just try to counsel them. We know that there's an overuse of antibiotics for non-bacterial infections. We know that a lot of viral infections don't respond to antibiotics. And so it's a field which really needs more information. Uh, and that's what we're about. We're, we're just trying to give the doctor more information. And when I tell the patients that I have seen your cough results and they're not indicating any pneumonia or chest infection, I can see that expression of relief or that deep breath that they take, oh, okay, it's not chest infection. <laughs> so that's definitely reassuring. So is it really as simple as it seems? You just cough into your phone and you have your answer? So, Tony, walk me through how you would actually use the app from a clinical perspective. You know, if I'm coming into the doctor and I've got a cough and I sit down in front of the doctor, what would I experience? So it's a really simple, very straightforward, very quick experience. Normally this happens before the consultation starts. So it happens when you're doing your booking for the consultation. So when you mention that you have cough or you are having these chest symptoms, then you get this prompt uh, for the app. Then once you download, it says record your cough. You then cough five times. They can be spontaneous coughs. And, you know, if someone is sick and you ask them to cough, they tend to cough, cough, cough pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. If someone is not that sick, you, you know, just ask them to provide, you know, what we'd call fake coughs or just a, a coughing sound. That gives us the information that we require. Um, the phone listens to those that sound, analyzes the audio, uh, and then provides an instant diagnosis to the clinician. And the report straight away comes as a PDF file to the patient report. And when we talk to the patient, we can access that report. So it's already in that patient profile. And we download it and it gives the interpretation in the form of like, it's a croup, it's asthma, it's um, low respiratory infection or it's pneumonia. And then the clinician can use that in their diagnosis decision. When we talk to the patient, as I said, there could be a complex of symptoms. 
because uh, respiratory symptoms always start from the upper airway and then goes down. So the patient have all the sinus symptoms, the ear symptoms, and then the upper respiratory symptoms. So we can get a little bit confused with this only with the history. But when we see the reports as well, then this will strengthen our impression that either we are heading towards the lower chest or we are just talking more about the upper respiratory illnesses. And I imagine it would be saving time and energy as well because you're trying to work out, you know, the accuracy and the consistency of diagnosis. Um, It kind of saves that process a little bit. Yeah, when we talk to ED doctors, so for in the emergency department, time is really critical. Um, and we talked to, I remember one of the, a doctor who used to run one of the busiest emergency departments in the US was telling me, you know, what he would really love would be when the patient walks into the room, he knows what to do next, right? Mm. Um, and, you know, having our app run in the waiting room in the in the triage station that provides him that information. So when that patient walks into the room, ResApp says, yes, the patient has pneumonia, Yes, there's a fever, et cetera, straight down a pneumonia pathway um, mm. and saving the time and saving, you know, having to send someone off for a chest X-ray, which, you know, in a busy emergency department, I'm sure we've all sat in the waiting room mm. <laughs> waiting for an X-ray to come back that can take an hour or two. Yeah. Um, you know, it, getting that information straight up front, getting people on the right pathway uh, is really important. If the respiratory illness is not diagnosed in time, definitely it will lead to pneumonia. And pneumonia can be in different forms. It can collapse the lungs. It can be only a part of the lung that is uh, infected or it can involve the lobe, like the lungs are made up of different lobes. It can involve the lobe or it can even involve the whole lung. So from there, the uh, series of complications starts, especially in kids and elderly patients. They both are more extreme age groups. So if they're not treated in timely manner with proper medication, definitely they will end up in more serious complications. And unfortunately, in kids, the death rate from the um, respiratory complications or severe pneumonia or complications of pneumonia is quite high. Giving doctors access to more tools to make a more accurate diagnosis could not come at a better time. When COVID took over the world in 2020, Dr. Rukshana said ResApp was a saving grace in getting patients to trust her diagnosis. In telehealth, it was a bit difficult for us sometimes to convince some patients that it's not something serious. It's just a viral or something like that. Because the patient, I believe, that's my impression, I might be completely wrong as well. But when we are talking to the patient and when we are trying to analyze their psyche as well, you can feel that impression that I ha- you haven't examined me or you don't know how bad I am. So they that satisfaction that we have some other resources as well to prove our statement is, is very important because the patient will only comply when he trusts you. If we have some helping hands, like in the form of ResApp or something, that we can use as a backup and we can say, see, this is my impression and the same results I'm getting from this app as well. When we started ResApp, we were focused on telehealth um, and, you know, we started ResApp seven years ago now. So, you know, it's just pre-pandemic and pre-really explosion of of telehealth. And so we Mm. always knew that telehealth was a, a really good option and we could see the signs that healthcare was moving that way, the pandemic has really just accelerated that dramatically. Mm. Um, and so we've been, you know, fortunate to be, you know, involved in it. Obviously, you know, we, we're we're still very early stages of our commercialization journey and, you know, we mm. have to, you know, changing clinician behaviour is, is not something that's easy. Um, it takes a lot of evidence, a lot, lot of use. Um, and so we're still in the early stages of our commercialization journey. But yeah, look, um, COVID 
And in, in particular, the explosion in remote medicine has really helped us. And if you're worried about sleep apnea, one of the more common and serious chronic respiratory diseases, Rosap has you covered on that too. Sleep apnea is really exciting. So sleep apnea is, you know, another one of those diseases where I think it's about 80% of people who have sleep apnea just don't know that they have it. And so those people are obviously, again, not treated and, you know, suffer the effects of sleep apnea. And it's not just that you're tired all the time. It's been strongly linked with heart disease, diabetes, and with a number of significant health conditions. So we'd seen over the years a lot of academic research into looking at snore sounds, breathing sounds, and whether you could diagnose sleep apnea from those. But we decided that we would build some algorithms. And we were very fortunate to connect with some clinicians in Perth who helped us recruit a number of patients into sleep apnea. And then, you know, our team went and built algorithms to say, you know, could we identify sleep apnea from, you know, your breathing and your sleep sounds? And and we could. So we end up having a product called Sleep Check, which is as easy as putting a smartphone on the bedside table while you sleep and then waking up the next morning and having a, a very strong indication of whether you have sleep apnea or not. Um, and hopefully driving you to the to the next step of, of a full diagnosis and, and treatment. I love that this is something that excites you as well, that, that you started going, this is so exciting because, you know, most people wouldn't actually even think of sleep apnea being a problem, but clearly it can be very disruptive to a person who suffers from a condition like this. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's it's exciting that we have an, an opportunity to impact people's lives. Um, and really, you know, make a big difference. And I think that's, that's what excites, you know, if I look at our team, it's, it's one of the big things that excites most of our team is, you know, we're we're developing health software, um, you know, that are impacting, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people's lives Mm. Um, and being able to identify, you know, just one person who, you know, has sleep apnea, you know, earlier Mm. and get them on treatment is a big win. Mm. And so we're excited about that, that, that opportunity. Anyone with a smartphone can use SleepCheck right now, but as Rezap DX is an integrated solution, it's used in conjunction with a doctor's consultation. Pioneering an intuitive machine-based learning algorithm has been as rewarding as it's been challenging for the team at Rezap. And what about some of the challenge points that you've had along the way in terms of actually getting a technology like this to, through the commercialisation process? Yeah, it's been a journey. Um, we've, <laughs> we've certainly, you know, going from a university idea basically all the way now through to to commercialization has been, you know, a journey of uh, many wins, many losses along the way and a lot of persistence uh, from the team. We've run clinical studies that have had failures. A US clinical trial, we'd engaged the best people we could in the US to run them, but, you know, we're a long way away. You know, we had nurses who thought that, our app was magic and could deal with if four different people coughed, we would pick the right person out of those four <laughs> different people and it would get the right result. You know, it, all those sort of things that, yeah. you know, you just you just have to learn from. Yeah. You know, we, we went to the FDA and we got knocked back. But then when you start to understand the whole process, getting knocked back from the FDA is not unusual. You know, most people do get knocked back from the FDA and have to go back and continue to argue their case and continue to build the evidence to get approvals. Uh, We worked out what those issues were, we solved them and and moved forward. Um, And I think that's probably the the reason why ROSAP has been successful is that, you know, we've never sort of backed down um, a little bit of that. Mm. Uh, That that really goes a long way in, in developing technology. 
And so with all those challenge points that you've just outlined, what has the response been to your software from a clinical point of view? So I think the, you know, it's, it, it speaks for itself a little bit with someone like Medgate who have now renewed, you know, they had an initial one-year license. They've now renewed for another year. Congratulations. Um, which really, <laughs> thanks, which is, which is a, a great sign of, of confidence in our technology. I'll say though that we are changing clinician behaviour a key part of their day-to-day job is listening with a stethoscope and, you know, making clinical decisions. So we're seeing growth within Medgate, but as those clinicians start using it more and more and more, they, they see that it helps them. They see that it, um, you know, changes their mind. It makes them double take and double think about something. So if they think the patient doesn't have pneumonia, Resep says it does, then they might, you know, think again, and work mm. through it more. So I, I think it is a, a changing behaviour process. It will take some time, but, you know, generally we, we're not seeing a backlash against us. It's just a slow growth in, into, into clinical use. I think when we're talking about ResApp, personally, from my own experience, from transitioning from a different field of medicine to a totally new field, ResApp was a great help. And I believe that if we get more integration into the telehealth, that will be a really, really good sport. It's not only about the respiratory. There are so many other diseases, like when the kids have chickenpox or any other infections, when we say them that they are contagious, so it means they cannot go to the physician. So if we have more apps integrated into the telehealth, that's definitely going to be a very helping hand for the doctors to boost their confidence, to avoid the misdiagnosis, to help them counsel and satisfy the patient as well. If we have some good apps like the Res app, who is helping us in assisting the proper treatment plan, that will be more safer option to treat the patients while being distant or while being away from them where we cannot examine or auscultate them properly. Victoria says that the Clarity Res app could have provided if it existed when she was first diagnosed would have been life-changing. Imagine if you had a more formal or definitive diagnosis back, you know, when you were experiencing those bronchitis symptoms, how do you think that would have then changed the way you sort of managed and treated your asthma? Well, I definitely think that I would have had a clearer plan of what to do. Yeah, I think that would have put me definitely at ease. I wouldn't have been having so much anxiety about it, but just it would have made things smoother for me you know, before I left and on my trip and when I came back from my trip as well. How important do you think it is for people to be able to diagnose their respiratory illness for then for them to subsequently manage it effectively? I think it's extremely important for people to be able to diagnose their respiratory conditions in terms of just knowing what to do, what the next steps are, kind of staying on top of it as well. It's, yeah, it's really, really important. And it just gives people kind of direction of what, yeah, what the next steps are. What should I do about this? When is it not within my normal range or, you know, yeah, when is it time for me to speak to my health professional as well? So it kind of gives people a good idea, I reckon, of what's normal for them and when they're outside of that normal. Resap has some really exciting things planned for the future. They're looking at expanding their disease library to include things like tuberculosis, malaria, and so much more, so that third world countries have access to differential diagnosis. 
And most recently, pharmaceutical giant Pfizer acquired the company for a reported $179 million. Go, Tony. What advice do you have for other people um, wanting to innovate in the digital health space? Oh, look, if I look at what, what did we do well, I find a really good team. It's not just the technology. Mm. Um, it's the technology. It's, you know, we were very, very fortunate in the, you know, seven years ago to connect with clinicians in Perth and they were such good believers in the technology, helped us run our first clinical studies, helped us understand respiratory disease, like doing that and then finding the right regulatory people, finding the right commercial people, building that team around the technology is so critically important. Um, you know, the technology is really important and, you know, especially somewhere like Australia, it really needs to be breakthrough technology to make a difference. But, you know, it's all about how do you get that technology to market? Um, you know, do you use partners like, like we do? Do you go direct to consumers? And if you do, how do you get to, to those consumers it is a really important thing that you need to realise and solve for early stage. And then the next question, this is probably the question we're grappling with at the moment, is who's paying? Healthcare is a really funny business in some ways in that it's often not the end user who's paying. Actually, most of the time it's not the end user who's paying. So you need to think about things like reimbursement. Who is the eventual? Is it a government? Is it a private health insurer? Is it an employer? Um, and and solve that puzzle too. Mm. Um, so it's all about solving a bunch of puzzles along the way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you, you have to try to keep your eye on, on them. And then second, you know, don't give up. You know, you are always, this is not ever a straight line from the bottom left to the top right. It's always a number of hills, number of valleys, and you just have to, as long as you learn from those mistakes, try to improve things on the next round, you'll continue to get there. Giving doctors better and more importantly, simpler decision-making tools has the potential to drastically improve patient outcomes when it comes to the delicate area of respiratory health. Resap is already on the path to be one of the country's most successful innovations, showcasing the best of what Aussie medicine is, collaborative and imaginative. Thank you for coming on this amazing medical innovation journey with me. This episode is the final instalment of the first season of Beyond the Medicine Cabinet. Beyond the Medicine Cabinet is a listener production brought to you in partnership with Kuyong Group. Hosted by me, Zoe Callister-Hakewell. Audio by Kelly Falston and executive producer is Todd Stevens. Listener.